Welcome back to Create Space, a podcast that finds joy in the art of storytelling. Today, we are talking about story in a very literal and direct way by diving right into the topic of literacy. I am going to introduce you to our guest, Stephanie Affinito. She's a clinical teaching faculty member at the University of Albany in the School of Education. She's also a published author and literacy coach and the host of the Get Literate podcast. So Stephanie has a deep love for all things literacy, teaching, coaching, and leading. She's dedicated her entire career to creating spaces for learning that build teacher expertise, spark intentional reflection, and connect philosophy to pedagogy. Now, Stephanie says that books and reading have the power to transform our lives. They allow us to meet new friends, travel to new locations, experience new perspectives, and learn valuable life lessons with every turn of the page. Stephanie believes a life well-read and well-written is a life well-lived. So I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to bring her on Create Space, and I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's get into it. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Today we have Stephanie Affinito. She is a literacy educator and the host of the Get Literate podcast, and I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for for being here with us today, first of all. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Absolutely. There, you know, just to start us out, I was interested in having you on because, um, you know, my podcast is about storytelling. For me, I tend to... um, lean more towards the visual storytelling as I'm a videographer by trade and things like that. But story in general has just been a passion of mine for so long. Um, So naturally, you were a perfect fit. Uh, But as I got into researching you and I found you through the Get Literate podcast, and then I saw all of the other things that you do, which wowed me. So (laughs) I was wondering if you could start by kind of just telling us, I mean, I know you're a clinical teaching faculty at the University of Albany and you have the podcast, and everything in between. So could you give us just sort of a brief career background? Sure, sure. Well, you know, it all started when I was a kid and just fell in love with all things reading and writing. I was that kid who always had a book, who always had a notebook. Um, And so stories have been a strong part of my life for as long as I can remember. And I knew starting kindergarten that I wanted to grow up to be a teacher, right? That's all I wanted to do was read and write all day long. And that's what I did. I became a classroom teacher and knew that I wanted to spend my days not just reading and writing, but only reading and writing with kids. So I quickly transitioned to a literacy specialist position where I worked with kids who had difficulty learning literacy or who were reluctant readers. And I did my best to hook them into reading. And I realized in that work that that important work with students was there. But I also knew that if I could start working with the teachers and help them see things that they could do in their classroom, to better support those kiddos, then I could reach more kids than I could just meeting with them alone. And so that's when I really dove into the research of reading and writing. I went back for my PhD in reading so I could figure out how reading and writing works, how kids learn it, how we can best teach it. And it was in that program that I realized I I had two loves. I loved working with kids, but I loved working with teachers really problem solving what reading and writing looked like in their classroom, what the role of books and reading and story and all of the other modalities as well. And so I started working as an instructional coach 
working with teachers to really support kids. And from there, ended up at the university level, where now I get to spend my days reading and writing with teachers who want to do the same thing I do, which is to become a literacy teacher. And I've kind of branched out to where I don't just work with teachers who who want to learn how to be literacy teachers, but I'm actually moving into kind of coaching people in reading and writing myself. So that's where the blog comes in and Get Literate, my podcast. I do lots of, um, you know, the bookish projects that I just love to do. I've started doing, but I've shared them widely. And I've really enjoyed connecting with all sorts of readers and writers and crafters and makers and people who just really value the written word and the page, whether that's a page of a book or the page of a notebook. And I don't say no to a lot of things. So I do find I have lots of projects up in the air, but I love it. I love all of them. It sounds like they are all, I mean, they're all different, but they're all so closely intertwined that everything kind of meshes and goes back to your overall love of literacy. So it seems like you're very busy, but a pretty perfect fit, I would argue. Yes. Perfect fit. Very happy fit. I love that. So you know, in the community that you've built of teachers and just people who enjoy literacy um, and enjoy reading and writing, I'm sure you're surrounded by a lot of people who think like you. My question would be when working with kids uh, or, or perhaps adults too, who maybe just aren't into reading, if they just kind of say, I'm not much of a reader or I don't have time to read. Um, what would you say to, to people like that? How would you, I guess, em emphasize the importance to someone who maybe doesn't see it? Yeah. Well, my line I usually throw out there instantly is that books are patient and they're waiting for us. And so the biggest thing, and, and you mentioned both kids and adults, and I have found when answering that question, how do I find more time to read? Or what if I don't really like to read? It really comes down to the same kind of response, whether you are five or 50, right? And that is finding a purpose for doing so. So really leaning into what you love to read and finding what you love to read is the big thing, right? Because as, as teachers, as schools, we put a lot of requirements on kids to read certain things at certain times, and that can kill the love of reading just for fun because it no longer is fun. We put homework on it and comprehension questions on it and all of the things on it. And so I do recommend if you're someone that is struggling to find the value in reading, or if you just, oh, I'm not a reader, right? It means that you just haven't found what reading could do for you or mean for you yet. You know, usually with adults, I start with all of the research benefits. I mean, I could go, we could have a whole nother episode on the physical and mental and emotional benefits of reading books from lowering your blood pressure to alleviating depression and building empathy, right? So when you know your why, and you know why books might be something that you want to bring into your life and you make sure it's a joyful space, right? Don't read books you don't want to read. Right? Don't read books just because someone says you should or it's on the bestseller list. Read the book that's either speaking to you somehow, right? You just for some reason think that would be a book that you love. But what I love is the idea of bibliotherapy, which is we read books to make our actual life better whether that's to meet new friends, to escape to places we will never visit in real life, or just to learn based on a season of life that we're going through. If we can make reading relevant, 
if we can make it enjoyable, we can see the benefit behind it, then we'll be more apt to find the time because we can all find the time once we realize it's something that we want to do. And so really going into that why, going into what makes it work for you, what, what would make your reading heart happy, and just doing those things. And with teachers, they've got lots of requirements. I'm sure they would love to throw out the curriculum and just read books with kids that they love all day. But there are ways in that we can do that in small pockets throughout the, the classroom as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think about when you said, you know, how some people just say, well, I'm just not a reader. A lot of times I wonder if that's just social conditioning that, you know, that they maybe had a hard time learning as a kid. And so then they were labeled, oh, so-and-so is not a reader and therefore that sticks. And so maybe it's refinding a love or realizing that you can be, you know, something else you can read. Anybody can, right? Absolutely. It also requires a little bit of slowing down that's hard for us to do today, right? There are no shiny screens. There are no feeds to scroll through. It's you and the book and the quiet and whatever you make in your mind. And that can be hard for people who are used to being very busy and who want to read, but just have a hard time settling down. And it can also be hard for kids who are used to animations and things that are moving to get their attention rather than them get the attention themselves. So that's where it comes down to choosing something that you actually want to read, that you that you love. And that that helps us kind of get rid of all of the noise that's going on and literally get lost in a book, which is what we tell kids so much. Yes, yes. And I, I resonate with that because I, I was kind of like you growing up. I've always loved reading. I've always loved writing. And I could very easily get lost in a book and, you know, my mom would joke that I would disappear for hours at a time over a weekend because I was reading a book. Uh, and I, I find that in adulthood, that's so much harder to do. One, because I can't go do that. I can't ignore my children for that long. I can't ignore my job, you know. Um, but that's how I enjoy That's how I like to read versus maybe a chapter a night. I prefer to just like get into it. So I do think that it can be a challenge, but a worthwhile challenge to find your way back to that, to be able to let go of the noise, like you said, um, and bring that back. Okay, so in thinking of literacy and sort of the bigger picture and the scope of society and community, uh, in the first episode of this podcast, when I was just kind of explaining my why, I brought up the fact that oral storytelling was sort of the beginning, and then the written storytelling is much newer, um, relatively speaking, of course. And it was the first moment that we saw permanency in people's stories, right? You could relive those. You could um, give them to somebody else. They could be studied as history later. So I guess my question to you is the written word, the ability of us as humans to write something down, to read something later, to record our history in words. What does that mean to society? What does that mean to community? Oh, it's everything. It's everything for a book lover and a notebook lover, especially. It's everything. I mean, so many different directions we could take it in. But for me, I think it all comes down to our own personal voice, right? So telling our stories, whether it's in a notebook, a journal, a published fashion uh, that's more formal, it gives us, as you said, permanence to our voice. And it allows us to share it in a way that is validated by society, right? We, we as a society, tend to prioritize, I guess, um, 
the traditional, right? Things that are published, things that are out there. But I really think just the act of writing things down, whether that is a published work or if it's just your morning pages journal that you are writing in every day, gives you a sense of validation that you are here and you left a mark, right? Whether whatever mark that looks like is up to you, but that that mark can live on, right? Some of those things might not ever see the light of day, right? No one will see my personal journal ever, but I know that I was there, right? And I can see my words and it can validate feelings and it can help me work through problems or put new ideas out into the world. And when people are brave enough to do that, right, to tell their story, and especially those that are brave enough and fortunate enough to get to publish them in some of those traditional ways, then they are making an impact that I don't even think authors truly understand on the other side as a reader, right? When we read books, you know, there's that that acronym um, by Dr. Bishop, um, mirrors, windows, and doors, right? Books can be mirrors where we can see ourselves and get validated and feel like we're not alone, but there are also windows where we can see into a different way of living that we have never experienced ourselves. And then if we're lucky and we have a sliding glass door, we can find an entry point where we can feel empathy and we can actually change the way we think based on what we read. So I think they go hand in hand. You know, the writing piece gives us a voice. It gives us a mark to share with the world, which then in turn has this big, big, beautiful impact on those that read those stories and either relate to them or are moved by them or are changed by them. And I think push the world forward in that way. Absolutely. I had never heard that that metaphor, the uh, mirrors, windows and doors before. And that's, yes. that's beautiful. And it's so true. So you mentioned writing things down and you mentioned journaling, which is something I definitely wanted to bring up because I know that's also kind of a, a big part of, um, well, your interests, right? And that you uh, oh, yeah. consider yourself a notebook hoarder, that you have all of these notebooks and all that. Um, I also love to journal. I have definitely uh, ebbed and flowed on consistency, but I can tell when I do it, my brain just feels more clear, like just mm -hmm. getting the things out. Um, so I'm curious if you would just kind of talk about journaling practices a little bit. How do you suggest people get into it? Why do you do it? Things like that. I am a notebook hoarder. And I have about eight that I write in fairly regularly. I did a whole episode on my 2023 notebook stack and so many people wrote in saying, how in the world do you have that many notebooks? What do you write in them? You know, I, I like you, um, I've been writing forever. You know, I had, when I was a kid, I actually was really sick as a kid and I was out of school for years. I was in and out of hospitals and really the, the one thing, well, I have to say two, the two things that really supported me during that time were books and notebooks, right? Because I couldn't get to the outside world, right? So the outside world got to me through the books that I've read and I couldn't leave my mark anywhere on the world, right? But I could in my notebook. And so I knew from a very young age that notebooks had power. They weren't just ways to pass the time. They weren't just something to doodle in. They were powerful tools for living. And so I've been writing in a notebook forever. You know, it ebbs and flows based on the season of life that I'm in, but I use notebooks for 
collecting my to-do lists, right, for the productive stuff. I have a morning page notebook, which is my, I, I jokingly call it my therapy notebook because I write anything and everything in it that's been bothering me or on my mind. And like you said, get it off of your chest and onto the page so that you can move forward. I have quote notebooks and notebooks for my reading life and all sorts of notebooks. Um, and it's not the number of notebooks that it's important, but it's the fact that I have a space to go to when I need it. Right. And so I really think that notebooking, notebooking can be for everybody. Um, you just have to find your path to which kind of notebooking and journaling is right for you. Because those same questions of, well, I don't have time to write and I don't know what to write about, right, that we talked about in our reading lives definitely come up in our writing lives as well. And so I tell people, you know, the first key is to, and, and you might not think this, but I have found in my work with teachers, with kids, with adults, the first key in developing a notebooking habit is to first find a notebook that you love. And everybody thinks that's counterintuitive. Like, shouldn't you know why you want a notebook first? No, I want you to find a notebook that you can't wait to get your hands on so that it is sitting there and it's waiting for you. And then, you know, you just think about what purpose do you want notebooking to fill? Do you want it to fill a functional purpose where it's your to-do list and your project ideas and things that just help you make life run smoother? Or do you want it to be more of a reflective journal? Are you writing about your experiences? Are you working through um, a project? Are you collecting memories that you want to hang on to? Then that could be a space. Or it could be something that's creative. You're working on writing a story. You're dabbling in poetry. You're doodling and drawing pictures and sketchnoting. Once you have the notebook, you kind of I recommend that you think about that one reason, whether it's functional or reflective or creative, and then just set yourself with a really small challenge, five minutes a day, right? Just open up to that page, data at the top and write something. And then over time, it gets easier and easier as you build your habits, right? I have a framework called Habits, Hearts and Communities. And if you build your habits, and you make sure that when you're doing those habits, they are things that are close to your reading and writing heart, so things that you enjoy doing. The next step is to then share that with a community. Reach out to other people who notebook. Search online for notebooking prompts or ideas or just to see the beautiful spreads that some people are creating on Instagram. And that has a nice snowball effect that can really get a notebooking or a journaling habit rolling. Yeah, Pinterest and Instagram, when I think about like the bullet journal spreads that I've seen, I mean, some crazy stuff. They're gorgeous. Mine are not like that for the record. <laughs> I have attempted to get mine like that. And it's funny because I'm definitely a creative person, but not, and even visually creative, but not drawing. Like not, mm -hmm. that is not, it doesn't come out of my hands somehow. I don't know why. But actually, okay, Stephanie, so I have a question for you related to that. And I don't know if you would even have an answer, but I'm going to ask it from, since you're a scholar too, and kind of an academic, maybe you've stumbled upon research about this. Is there a difference in reaping the benefits of journaling and possibly let's expand this to books too. Um, is there a difference between handwritten versus typed journals, um, and, or reading versus say, listening to an audiobook? Is there, yeah, that's, is there a difference there? 
I'm going to say yes and no. So first let's start with writing. A lot of research out there to show physical, mental, and emotional benefits, right? So lowered heart rate, better sleep, research that shows even just three to four times a month, writing 15 to 20 minutes a day can reduce autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and asthma. It can alleviate depression, boost happiness. So we've got a lot of benefits from writing and the research does show. So I apologize to all of those that like to do their writing by computer only. It does show that you will reap more of those benefits if you are writing by hand. So that doesn't mean that you can't get some of those benefits by typing or doing digital work. But most of the research shows that that old school, old fashioned pencil to paper, that movement, that, that motor movement and that connection with the brain, that is really what's doing it. It's activating part of the parasympathetic nervous system and kind of calming us down. And so you will get benefits any old way, right? Even if it's digital, but they will come a lot faster if you are going old school. Now on the reading side though, the reading side research, there's mainly research out there for reading traditional printed books. So all of those benefits I mentioned, like again, the, the decreased heart rate, we've got building empathy, we have um, emotional resilience, all comes through reading a book. Those research pieces showed that you can get those benefits with just six minutes of reading a day. Just wow. six just six minutes. That's what I love telling teachers and kids. You only need six minutes. Everybody can stop scrolling for six minutes. Um, there isn't much research out there on the difference between reading printed books and eBooks, or I'm sorry, listening to books. So I don't really have a, a research-based way to say, will you get those same benefits? Because often what happens when people are listening to books, they are multitasking. Right. And so we are not calming our nervous system down. We are not being present. We are juggling more than one thing, which don't get me wrong, I love doing. But the research that we have so far is mainly just reading old fashioned books and that is your sole activity. So we can't quite in a research-based way um, apply that to listening to books, but I still like to because I think listening to books or reading them on an e-device or reading them on paper we're all the same thing in the reading world. It's getting information off of the page. Research still has to come a little bit of, of ways on that. That that makes perfect sense. I feel like it sounds like the research kind of supports what my sort of gut instinct would have said. And it's interesting with me because right now I will admit I'm very digital. You know, on the, the audiobook side, I have two young kids. And so um, I don't often get to sit down. And exactly what you said, the reason that I'm choosing an audiobook is because I need to multitask. So it makes sense that you would lose kind of more of the sensory parasympathetic nervous system experience there. And then on the typing, honestly, I just forget journals. Like I just forget, like, I, well, two things. One, I'm like, where did I put that journal? But if it's ele electronic, I can sync it and have it, you know, on all my devices. And then also I think I find when I'm doing kind of a brain dump sort of a journal, I can just type faster than I can write so I can yeah. get it out faster in that regard. Um, but I can see how, I mean, anytime that you can get a, more of a tactile motion in there with it, there's probably a combination 
kind of an entourage effect, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Um, Cause like I say, that's kind of the, where, where my gut was leaning, but I was just curious if there was research out there. Yeah. So this is maybe more of a question. I don't know if listeners will want to know this information, but I do. Um, I have a seven-year-old who's in the process of learning to read and and is struggling um, quite a bit with it and very much enjoys listening to us read to him. Doesn't so much enjoy the reading part yet because it's hard. So what advice would you have for, you know, a caregiver um, of a child who is maybe a little bit resistant or is having a challenge reading? How can we help guide him? I love this question. This is my life's work kind of question of how how can we help kids not only learn how to love reading, but do it fluently enough where they can. So I would say, and everyone always, there, there's a couple of different ways we could attack this question. But the first thing I always say is to help a child develop a love of reading is they need to see the adults in their lives enjoying their own love of reading and for all sorts of different reasons. So, so often we ask kids to do things that we don't do ourselves, right? Especially when we are in school. And so if if reading is just something that is done, right? It's unnatural, like we read and we enjoy it and we love it and we have lots of role models for it. It's easier for a child to see the value and the purpose of it and then want to learn how to do it because learning how to read is complex, it's challenging. And if they don't have that overall desire to or the expectation that it's something they can do because they see it often, then it does make it harder to learn how to read all of those complex skills. So glad that you're reading books to your child, that they are listening to those stories. That is the number one way that we recommend not just to build a love of reading, but also the knowledge and the skills that they'll need to then apply to the reading themselves. They're learning about how stories work. They're learning about vocabulary. They're learning the oral language they need in order to dive into a story. So those two things are really important in setting the stage and a really strong environment for learning how to read. When it comes to the child themselves, you know, what could we do to help a child learn how to read? I want to stress that we want reading to be as joyful as an experience as possible, right? If if I wanted to learn how to ski and skiing was just horrendous every single time and my boots hurt and it wasn't fun and the person next to me was angry because I wasn't learning fast enough, I would choose never to ski, right? But we don't give kids that option with reading. We, we, we need them to learn how to read. And so I always tell parents, let them choose what to read Right? Let them choose to read things that they love. And even if it's managed choice where you're helping to guide their book selections, but ultimately let them let them choose what to read and let it be easy. Right? I love Susie Moore, who is a, a New York Times bestselling author. She has a book called Let It Be Easy. And that applies to the reading life too. When you're home with your child, don't worry about reading books that are at their level, you know, which is a phrase I think we should get rid of anyway, or books that are too hard. Kids need hours, hours of practice reading books they love that are easy in order to build that fluency. So 
that I think is the number one thing we could do to help our kids is to let it be easy with books that they love, make it a joyful experience so that when they're learning those skills they need in school to either learn how to decode the text or read fast enough or understand what they've read, they've got a bigger reason for doing it. And it's enjoyable enough that they're willing to put up with a little bit of struggle in order to get there. Just like someone who really loves skiing and enjoys doing it with all their friends will sit through that lesson that's really hard on that icy day because they know what's coming. So really thinking about their identities as readers, as well as the skills that we're trying to build at the same time. Absolutely. That's that's so helpful. Thank you. That's, like I say, interesting to me from just a uh, literacy and storytelling point and also just some really great advice as a parent. So I appreciate that very much. Oh, happy so- to. We've covered a lot of ground today, talked about a lot of things. Um, I would be remiss to let you go without asking you, what are you reading right now? I mean, I'm sure that if I were to ask you, like, what's your favorite book? I don't even know if you'd have an answer to that. But if you have a favorite genre, if you have some um, recommendations for us, tell us about your reading life. Oh, my reading life. I absolutely adore realistic fiction. So fiction text, it's it's where it's my happy place, right? I love to meet new characters, to travel to places I haven't been. I love to figure out how life works for someone else in an, in an attempt to figure out for my own. So I usually read far too much fiction. Um, I actually have a reading spreadsheet that I made for myself that tracks my genres so that I'm not only reading in there because I love it so much. Um, but let's see, what have I been reading lately in terms of titles? I have, I've been kind of on a, a, a local hyper, I call it hyper local book kind of kicks. And so I've been reading books that are set in and around my hometown in order to get a really close connection to it. So I've read recently The Lake House and The Mad House by Michaela B. And I've also read a couple of books by J.D. Sparrow, who writes in the Adirondacks, upstate New York um, kind of genre. But I've also read, I'm lucky enough because I am blogging about books and podcasting about books, that I I get ARCs, I get advanced reader copies of some of the books that are coming out. And so I've just read, this book is going to be one of my favorites for 2023. It's called Super Bloom by Meg Tatey. And it's not coming out until May, so I feel bad that you can't get your hands on it, but you could pre-order it and support this debut author. It is a wonderful book about finding yourself and finding your way back after loss or grief or some kind of complication in your life. And it's a beautiful story that's also set in Vermont in kind of the winterish time. So it's pretty close to me and it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely story. So I've been, I just finished that one um, not too long ago. Wonderful. Okay. I'll make sure to kind of put some links to each of the books that you've mentioned and uh, to pre-order that one into the show notes so that people can access those if they would like. And just kind of a fun final question, because I know that you log the books that you read. And so you probably have this number. How many books do you read in like, say a year? Like, do you have a ballpark figure? or a specific figure. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it's funny, I do log the books that I read, I don't do it for the purpose of finding a number. So I'm always very clear, you know, everybody is numbers obsessed. Right, right. How many are on your Goodreads list or what is your TBR? Um, 
So I, I focus more when I'm tracking my reading on the genres I'm choosing, the, the authors that I'm reading, and if I'm reading a wide range of authors, what the genre is, if it's a kid's book or if it's an adult book. Um, but I tend to read, I'm going to say anywhere between like 120 to 150 every year. Okay. Um, and in the book world, I'm kind of on the lower end when you think of some of these book, these some of these big book bloggers. But you also have to remember, I'm lucky that I get to read children's books for a living, right? I teach children's literature. So I'm constantly devouring kid lit on one hand and my adult fiction on the other. Uh, but I love tracking it because it shows me shows me where I can grow. And I know a lot of people track their reading life to, to see how many books they've read and how many authors they've read. And I use it to help me figure out what I need to do next, what might be good for me next. Um, and so that's why I love I love tracking it on my Google spreadsheet because Google magically does the, the beautiful graphic work for me and all those things come to life. Um, and then I have a book journal that I use where I keep track of themes that I'm learning, the quotes, the ways that I've notebooked about the books I'm reading. And I give it a heart rating too. I don't like to rate books and stars because I know those star ratings are so important to authors' careers. And just because I didn't like it at that moment in time didn't mean that the writing was great. So I do have a book journal that rates things in hearts and just helps me kind of keep, keep track of my reading life so that again, I really believe my reading life can inform my actual life. And so I, I, I put attention on that because what we pay attention to is what, you know, seems to grow and flourish. And so that's, that's my hope with tracking my reading life. That's such a, a beautiful answer. And one that I wasn't expecting because I didn't kind of consider sort of the, the second anyone tracks anything, right. It becomes a what's the right number? What should I be doing? And it's something that I definitely involuntarily fall into so many times. Like if I try to track a new habit of, oh, I'm going to take a walk every day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. As soon as it's tracked, yes, it gives me motivation to keep going, but it also immediately quantifies something that maybe doesn't need to be quantified, or maybe that at, at least that shouldn't be the sole focus of it. So I actually love that you kind of prefaced <laughs> that answer. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember if I saw this correctly or not, but didn't you actually make the book journal? Like, don't you sell the book journal? Can you tell us about that? Because you designed it yourself, right? I did. Well, and full disclaimer, I designed it on a piece of paper with Sharpie markers and had someone help me bring it to life <laughs> so that I could figure out how to do that. Um, Kayla was wonderful. Uh, but yes, I, I had been going through book journals and trying to find one that fit the kinds of things I wanted to track. So when, when I'm tracking my reading life, I don't keep track of the characters or the summary or the plot or the star rating. I'm keeping track of what are the themes that are here? What are the ways I'm thinking about my own life? What are the quotes that I love? I am such a quote person. Um, you know, what are the prompts that are, are coming to mind as I'm reading that I want a notebook about in my journal? And I couldn't find a journal that had all of those things. And so I started tinkering around making one of my own um, and eventually, thankfully, found someone that can help me bring those ideas to life. And now I have two. I have one that you can get delivered to you that's actually a physical book. Uh, and I also have a printable 
version that you can print whatever size that you want and has a lot more pages. There's things like TBR list, did not finish list, books that I've hugged. It's my favorite list. When I hug a book, <laughs> I know it's a good one. So I, I love that. I have one uh, where there's a map of the world and I put every book that I've read where the setting is to see you know, where I've traveled through books. And I, I just use it to really dig in to my reading life, right? Again, beyond the numbers of what I'm hoping to accomplish. And now because I have a book podcast, I need to think about and interact with my books in a particular way to be ordered to talk about it really well online to someone else. And that book journal just helps me hold on to all of those details that I know I'd forget in a busy day, right? When you close that book and you move on, it was really hard for me to remember what I've read. People would say, oh, you read a lot of books, you know, give me a recommendation. And I'd come to a complete blank and I'd freeze as if I hadn't read a book because I couldn't remember the title or, or what it was about. And so this has helped me put more attention there because it's really important to me to connect with others about my reading life. And now I can with a journal and something like this. Wonderful. Well, we will definitely include the links to that as well, because I think there's a lot of people that would uh, would love to get their hands on something like that. And yes, I do the same thing. If someone asks me what I've read and or what music I've listened to, I'm like, goodness, I have no idea. I can't yeah. I can't remember, even though I'm listening and reading constantly. So thank you, Stephanie. I really appreciate you um, spending the time with us today. Like I say, you've definitely rejuvenated my love and interest in in reading um, in the time that I've you know signed up for your newsletter and have been listening to the podcast and um, things like that. It's it's one of those things where my favorite thing in life is hearing someone talk about their passion because you can tell when they care about it. And that's how I feel about about listening to you as you can tell that that passion is real. It's not something where you said, hmm, you know, no one has a podcast about books. Maybe I should do that. But you said, I love to talk about books. I want to do this. Uh, and it's very, very um, prevalent. And I was uh, just really honored to have you on the show. So I very much appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. I love, you know, as you've heard in my voice, I, I love talking about all things books and notebooks. Um, and so it's it was a pleasure to come on and, and chat with you. I hope this episode refreshed and revived your own love of reading and writing in the same way that it did for me. So please take a moment to get connected with Stephanie and her work if you heard anything in this podcast that interested you. And of course, the links to all the things are in the show notes page. And I just encourage you to plug in where you can because she's cultivated this really lovely virtual community of book lovers. And I know you're going to love it too. As always, thank you so much for joining me today. And I will see you all next week on Create Space. <laughs>